Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Has there ever been a person or a circumstance in your life that you have had difficulty moving on from? Maybe even now you are thinking of a situation or a person who has hurt you or something that has happened that you can't seem to move past, no matter how much you want to, no matter how much you've tried, and you just feel so stuck. If that's you, then this podcast episode is for you. Today, I am joined by Al and Lisa Robertson, part of the Duck Commander family, part of the Duck Dynasty dynasty, who are sharing their story of desperate forgiveness and how they have used forgiveness to free them, to heal them, and to do amazing things in restoring not only their marriage and not only their family, but impacting and affecting thousands of people in their world. Now, I've been friends with Al and Lisa for a while, so you're going to listen to this podcast like you're listening to a conversation between two friends. And so there's some things I need to key you in on so that you understand some of the things that we're talking about. First of all, we are covering so much of what Al and Lisa discuss in their book, Desperate Forgiveness, which is amazing. But in that book, Al and Lisa both recount the stories and circumstances that have happened in their lives that for all intents and purposes are very difficult to forgive. Some might even say unforgivable. Things that many people choose not to forgive and to hold on to as resentment and anger. I won't share every part of it because I do believe you should read the book, but the brief overview is that when Al was a child, his parents Phil and Miss Kay Robertson went through a really difficult time in their marriage. Phil was drinking. He was having affairs. He was even abusive to his wife, Miss Kay. And Al was the oldest brother who had to watch all of this happen and unfold. It was extremely difficult, of course. But as this happened, this is what he sees. He also got to see the other side of this, which was his mother accepting Phil back into her life, into their life, radically forgiving him and watching the 180 conversion of his father into an amazing man that he is today. From this, though, it didn't come without consequences to the children in the family. Al experienced a rebellion as he entered into his teenage years, and he shares more about that in the book. He was dating Lisa, but he also cheated on Lisa as they were dating, which affected Lisa in such a way where she, with her own past of sexual abuse, of being in a family where parents wanted to keep a beautiful picture keeping, make it look like things were perfect on the outside. Lisa didn't feel like she could fail. That led her to do some things, more of which are shared about in the book, but it also led her to seek the attention of other men. And you can see this is a recipe for disaster, right? So Al and Lisa both come with these 
predispositions to certain things, which are kind of this perfect storm. Al cheats on Lisa before they're, when they're dating, before they're married. Lisa's already vulnerable to wanting and seeking attention from men. And so this hurts her trust even more. But they do get married, and Al and Lisa very famously share their story about how Lisa continued to have affairs, how Al forgave her for it, how they reconciled their family. But in this book, they also continue to share about how even though they have forgiven other family circumstances or other people that they have been able to come in contact with who have formed and molded their journey towards forgiveness. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. It's going to be part one. Next week, you will hear part two. But in this first part, we're getting down into why they decided to write a book about forgiveness, what is so important about forgiveness, and how they learned to trust each other again in their marriage. So here is part one of learning how to forgive with Al and Lisa Robertson. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. Before we get started here, remember that we have a full community of people who are dedicated to encouraging you and supporting you as you are learning to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. You can find that community on Facebook by searching for hashtag working on my pies, all one word and request to join there. I would also love for you to join me on Instagram. I am really revving up all of the things I'm doing over there giving you tips and encouragement and different things that you can do and ideas to work on your pies by showing you how I'm doing it in my own life. You can find me by going to Instagram and searching for Kimberly Beam Holmes. That's all one word. Kimberly Beam as in a beam of light and Holmes as in Sherlock. Look forward to connecting with you on Instagram. You gave me your book, Desperate Forgiveness, last year, because it was about a year ago, just over a year ago that we were at my parents' 50th anniversary party. And it was probably, I didn't know it when you gave it to me, but oh my goodness, such a godsend. And I am embarrassed to say it wasn't until this past week that I was like, I need to read this book because I felt like I knew your story. So I was like, I think I get it. Oh my, oh my goodness. This book is amazing. In so many ways. And so now that I've read it cover to cover one of the chapter or a couple of the chapters multiple times, I'm like, I have a whole new set of questions (laughs) that I want to ask you because it's so raw, everything in it, everything you guys talk about and touch on. It's like, this is the real stuff that people have to deal with and forgive. And this past year of my life, I have had to come to head with so many of these things that I didn't realize I hadn't forgiven from childhood or from things that happened, you know, that people had done to me and said to me for just years. And I'm reading this book and so many parts of it, I got emotional because I was like, this is truth. And the fact that they are putting their story on the line, the dirty, nasty, like everything that people try and hide, this book is amazing. It is amazing. 
Thank you. Well, we appreciate that. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, um, and your dad and mom are gracious enough to allow us to, you know, tell some of their story as well, along with other people that have impacted us and people that, you know, we know their story has impacted other people. And so, you know, it's really great that it impacts you that you that way, because, you know, you're, you're kind of a direct product of, of one of the things that really helped us. And that was your mom and dad finding that same way to, you know, find their way to forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It, yes, it's amazing. I'm, I'm probably, as we talk, some things will come out, but what prompted you to write the book in the first place? Because you'd already written the book that was really about your story, A New Season, which in and of itself is an amazing book. And your story's amazing and it's impacted, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. So <laughs> what led you to say, we're going to put it all on the line, let people know all of the things we have struggled with and write a book about it? So I think for us, it was probably, the, the you know, when we, we had been, you know, basically at the time about 15 years, uh, 15 or 16 years, uh, when we, you know, wrote our first book removed from our own just disaster, you know, of, of our marriage and everything we were trying to do and almost lost everything. And so, you know, that had had a lot of time to sort of brew our story itself. And, and obviously we're on a, you know, our family's on a hit television show. And so it was like, okay, God's built a platform. Now we've been, you know, doing our testimony all over the country. We've been helping couples and, and then just seeing amazing things happen over the course of that 15 or 16 years. And so when the time came for us to write our story to kind of, you know, everyone in our family was writing books and, you know, the public is just gobbling them up. And so we, we told our story, but, you know, our story had been around a long time from our perspective, but of course, for most people, it was the first time they were hearing this stuff. The difference in Desperate was after a couple of years went by after that book, we wanted to tell some more stories, not just ours. I mean, ours was the anchor point because that's how we understood forgiveness the way we understand it now. But we wanted to be able to tell other stories of, of people we had helped and people we had, had that had helped us, the people that we had seen, uh, and even some people that were still trying to figure it out. They weren't there yet. Some, uh, I call them TBDs. And they were to be determined because, you know, maybe they couldn't make restitution in this life, you know, with this, with this situation. Maybe someone, you know, and there's some in there about a father and a, and a son and a dad, and, and not everybody's still alive. So we wanted to tell those stories along with some biblical stories that really fit the narrative. Because if you, if you look at it, really, I mean, the Bible is just a giant book about forgiveness and redemption and, mm-hmm. and about families and nations and, you know, people trying to figure it out. And so we wanted to tell some biblical stories in with that. So it was really kind of more of a ministry driven idea uh, from it. And so, you know, our first book, we just basically told our story to, to a wonderful writer and then she just, you know, told the story, and it, and it was powerful, and it, it impacted people. This one, Lisa and I were much more hands-on in mm-hmm. putting it together, and we even presented it, all the different chapters as, as like, presentations here at our church, which kind of allowed us to really, you know, work through some of our thought processes. So it was a labor of love. It took about a year to get it all together, and, and, it, and to be honest with you, Kimberly, we had a hard time getting it published if, if folks on the family were great to come alongside us because— you know, people were like, all the publishers were like, well, you know, we've already heard your story. It's great and all that, but, you know, that dynasty's over. So we just need to, you know, it's a great idea, but, you know, so I, we didn't know that we were going to have to publish it ourselves or whatever. 
And then Focus came along and said, we love it. It's an extension. It's a sequel, you know, really to your story. And so that's kind of the, that was kind of the genesis of it and how it all came about. Mm. It's, I love the way it's written because it opens with your dad, Al, right? So it, it sets this scene of like what your family had come through and then what changed, what happened, but how, because of what happened with your parents, how that affected you, led you to do things you never thought that you might do, how that impacted Lisa, how Lisa's past impacted her. Like you can start to see this spider web of how everything affects everything else. Right. And then And then each chapter is these people, like you said, these people that you encounter that are, again, just more of these spider webs that are coming off of your story. And it all brings together this beautiful picture of forgiveness. But I'm giving, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. I have so many questions I want to ask. How did, I I think it's, I think it's important, Kimberly, that if you're going, if you're going to, um, if you're going to try to understand somebody, I mm. think you've got to know their past. I think you've got to know where they're coming from, maybe a little bit of their history and what happened to them and what they've been through. Because um, if you don't know that, you don't understand why people react to things the way that they do. And so um, I believe that you've got to you've got to um, dive a little bit deeper into your relationship and especially those that really matter and, and find those things out because um, you've got to come to a point where you understand them and that you say, you know what, I'm not any better than anybody else. You know, this mm-hmm. person is not any better than I am. We all go through, sorry, pardon the French crap, um, you know, in our life and we're all sinners, so we're all going to hurt one another. So you've got to you've got to get to a point where you can understand what somebody else is going through. Put yourself in their shoes and say, "I get it." It may not; it's not an excuse. It's a reason, and sometimes we just have to understand the reasons why. One of the things, Lisa, I loved about your your telling of your story in here is it kind of starts, and even if you were, you know, if people just know about your marriage story, about how you had had affairs or, and how you almost divorced, you were separated, all those things. Even as you say in this book, Desperate Forgiveness, if you were to just start there and not go backwards to see, as you were just saying, why that was happening, then people judge, right? They totally do. People might judge and say, you can't ever trust Lisa again. Don't go back to her. I'm sure there are people who said that in y'all's marriage. Right. But when you begin to peel back these layers and then Lisa, you go into the struggles with your relationship with your mom, how that affected you and impacted you, the, the sexual abuse that you had to endure and keep your mouth shut. How, how did you put, like, how did your journey go with this? Where was there just a day it all came together to you as to why you were feeling this way and doing these things or did it just take time to piecemeal it all together? Or did you know the whole time that that is what was affecting you and causing you to make some of these decisions you were making? No, actually we had no idea why um, either one of us made the decisions that we made until we went through, um, went to a wonderful counselor. Um, I think everybody (laughs) needs a counselor. Um, at some point in their life, 
just somebody that can guide them. Um, and that's what a counselor does. They just guide. Um, they guide you to a point where you can understand things um, about your past and how your past and the decisions that were made for you, even when you're a child, uh, the decisions that you made as a teenager, how all of that intermingles and it affects who you are as an adult. And I think that's that's why we have to talk about that past because we need to understand where we came from and, and what all what the journey was and what happened during the journey. A lot of times too, Kimberly, I think it it depends on the depth of the hurt um, in someone's life. Uh, obviously, what happened to Lisa was so traumatic and deep and and secretive for so many years. Uh, you know, it was going to take it was going to take some time for her to get to some place where she could look at that and see how the you know how that impacted her. And then how it was impacting us, how she viewed other men, how she viewed me, you know, and she'd kind of put me as her, you know, as kind of her white knight or savior, uh, which, which, you know, sounds okay until you realize there's only one and it's not, it's not your husband or your wife. And so I, I think part of that is the depth of hurt. That's why sometimes things are, we always say now, one of our mottos about forgiveness is aim small, miss small, because you know, we would rather deal with something before, you know, it becomes so big that then it takes time to get back to the depth of it. And so I think there's a lot of people walking around in relationships and their marriage, and they still have, you know, some old wounds and some things that they've just kind of shuttered away. And, and then it's impacting, affecting how they're living their life now. And and yet they don't always make that link. So in Lisa's case, and same with your dad. It took a complete brokenness. I mean, it, it got to be in the point where I, I'm, I've lost everything that matters to me. And so now I'm ready to figure out why. And and for unfortunately, a lot of people have to go there. I have to go to the place that I'm about to lose everything. In your dad's case, not, he'd already lost his family, but he was about to lose his life. And then it was like, okay, I've got to take the look. You know, I've got to figure out what 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 is this whole it's in my heart, in my soul, that I cannot fill up with anything else, even though I keep trying to. Mm-hmm. How long, Lisa, and then I have the same question for you in a different way, Al, but how long did it take for you to get to the point where you could forgive your abuser and then to forgive your mother? Um, I would say probably, um, well, it took 35 years for me to be able to forgive my abuser because that's when I started counseling was whenever I was 35. Um, and, you know, then I think probably a, a few years after that, although I knew my mother was not at fault for what happened to me, um, as a child, I thought, well, she should have known. She, You know, she should have inquired. Now, as a parent and as a grandparent, um, I I realized, you know, that that wasn't the case, that, you know, she really had had no idea. Um, And so I think probably, um, you know, it took probably eight months of counseling um, before we ever totally got to the point where we said, okay, it's time to forgive. We can do this, you know. And I think, you know, the forgiveness, it's an everyday thing Mm -hmm. um, because 
you have to wake up every day and decide if you're going to pick that burden back up or if you're going to leave it at the foot of the cross. And, you know, some days you pick it back up, you know, only to, to leave it, you know, midway through the day and say, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. But, um, but I, I, it's a still, it's a day-to-day thing. You know, something might pop up about my mother and I, and, and I have to consciously say to myself, you forgave your mom, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, it's not about that. And, or, you know, something will happen and I'm talking to some young woman who, you know, was sexually assaulted as a child or, or, you know, molested. And then I have to, you know, a thought will come through my head about my uncle and I'm like, no, I've already forgiven that. You know, I can't pick that back up. Um, so I would say, you know, it's an ongoing thing every day, but, it took about eight months of counseling um, before I could get to the point and and see my own sin in my life. I think that was another thing. I had to see the sin that I had also. And, you know, just through intensive counseling, that's probably about how long it took for me to say, all right, I'm ready to forgive. And I will say something to add to that, uh, Kimberly. Um, you know, our counselor was wonderful in the idea that she com- she helped us see that because we had a, I'll never forget it in the session. It was a, it was a one of those, you know, watershed moments during our path, you know, during that time. And this has been 21 years ago. And I still remember, um, she, there was an empty chair she had brought into the room and she wanted us to imagine him in that chair, which was very difficult for both of us. Cause you know, from Lisa's perspective, he was a monster from my perspective. You know, I, I wanted to, you know, be the Lord's, you know, vengeance on it. Right. And, and yet, she convinced us that the forgiveness wasn't about him because he wasn't asking for forgiveness. He's never even fully admitted anything, but the forgiveness was for us to be released because this curse, you know, had, had gripped Lisa for most of her life. And now me with it uh, because of us. So that's a, that's a big point in the book about that. The forgiveness that you offer is as much about yourself as it is about the other person. Obviously you hope to restore the relationship and go forward. In our case, we don't want a relationship with this person. And as far as I know, in this life, it'll never be restored. But we needed the freedom from that. And so, so many people are held captive by that. So it was interesting because it's kind of ironic because we, we were talking about our mom. When we did our first book, um, we really, we the writer, of course, is just hearing the story. And it's raw. I love the way he described our story. And... So when we read the first version, when Lisa was, you know, telling about her mom and her and her upbringing, we looked at each other and we were like, "Oh my goodness, this is we're going to have to soften this because you know our mom's still alive and mm-hmm. you know this is you know this is going to be bad." And so we softened it as much as we could and yet still were truthful. And yet even then, her mom was livid. I mean, she hated it because you know she just didn't want you know she would rather never talk about anything. And so. That actually, our first book, is what then led to a really division between Lisa and her mom, between me and her mom. Uh, and so until she got sick, really, to the point, you know, where Lisa stepped back in to take care of her, um, she didn't want a relationship with us. It was, it was awful. It was terrible. And so, but Lisa and I had to make a decision. I mean, we, are we going to you know, live this forgiveness out? And so we both had to make that decision. So it's really about... Uh, just a few weeks before she passed away, it was getting where we would have to get, Lisa would have to take her to the ER, but they couldn't do anything. She had COPD and 
they would give her a, like a steroid thing for treatment and then breathing treatment. She'd be a little better, but she wasn't getting any better. And uh, so Lisa was going to be stuck up there. We just sat down in church on, on a Sunday and, you know, she gets the call that Amos is picking your mom up. So, and I knew that was an afternoon for Lisa sitting at the ER. And, and at that point I had not been doing much with her mom because it was just kind of more peaceful for everybody if I didn't. And, but I thought, you know, Lisa's going to be sitting there all day and her mom will just be out because of the, whatever they give her to calm her down. And so I just went up to sit with Lisa. And so we're sitting there together, working on a computer, working on our schedule. And, and her mom wakes up and she looks over and sees me there. Cause I wasn't there when she went to sleep. And this is classic her. And I'm going to say it just like she said it. So, but she said, she looked over at me and kind of has a scowl look on her face. She said, do you think you can forgive me for all the hell I put you through? I mean, that was her line, just out of, out, literally out of a sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it kind of took me back, you know, that she asked me that. Um, and I said, well, sure, Molly, I already have. I said, will you forgive me for any hurts that I brought to you? She said, yeah, I, I reckon so. I said, well, good. And that was it. Like, it wasn't like, a, you know, we didn't hug and, you know, we didn't, the puppies didn't run out and, you know, hearts go through the room. It was kind of our classic way that she and I communicated. But that was a huge moment for her and for me because it was just a reminder, like Lisa said, that, and, you know, look, I'm the one that's preached her funeral. And, and I'm the one that had to look at her brother, Lisa's abuser, who was in the audience, you know. And so, you know, in moments like that, or when you decide, you know, how, did I really forgive or not? And uh, and he was acting like a jerk. And so, you know, that whole day I was just in prayer. I had people praying over me, you know, to be God's man, to to live the forgiveness that we extended. You know, and it's sometimes it's hard when you have to face something like that. So hard. You know, there. As I was reading the book, there's specific situations that that came to my mind. The harder things in my life, I've I've had to forgive. Um, and I said, you know, this past year, it's all kind of come to a head for me. Uh, when back when I was 12, or starting when I was 12, there was a person in my life who began sexually harassing me and saying things they should not say to a 12 year old. And um, I never said anything about it to anyone and then just carried it with me. And it was a person who was close to my family. So they never really went away. And it wasn't until, you know, throughout my several years of marriage to my husband, every, every so often I would talk about this, like, I was just so angry about it. And he would say, you need to forgive him. And I was like, I have forgiven him. (laughs) But in my mind, like, cause in my mind, I was like, I don't want to think about it. I don't even want to go back there. I don't even, you know, I don't, I really didn't want to address it. But this past year, everything came to such a head where it's like, you couldn't ignore it anymore. And so even as this began, as the book begins, and it talks about this desperate need for forgiveness, and it can look different in everyone's life, right? Like a person who's done something and they need desperately to be, to be forgiven. Or in my case, while yes, I had done, done things like the bigger thing for me was, I am living in a state of anger and resentment and hate really towards this person. And it was hurting me as a person to keep carrying that with me. And so I was like, I've got to figure out how in the world to forgive. And it was one of the hardest things I've had to do. Yeah. Why do you see you were living, you were living as a victim and and not as a victor. 
Once yeah. you extend that forgiveness, you become a victor. And what they did to you can no longer harm you. You're not being held hostage, you know, by the um, by the memories and not being able to tell anybody. And so, but a victim mentality, I mean, we see that every day um, on the news. Um, it'll kill you. It will, I mean, it will drive you insane. Yeah. And so you were living as a victim since you were 12 years old. And now you're living as a victor since you have forgiven this person. You will use that hurt now to help other people. Whereas before, all that hurt did was hurt you and make you bitter and angry. Mm. And that's, as I was reading all of these stories in this book, I couldn't help but think how much more, and this is one of the questions I have for y'all, it's hard. Like it, it has to be hard to, to think about it, to talk about it, but is it so much easier? And have you reframed it that every time you speak about it and talk about what's happened, that it, that it really is more of this like invigorating, look what we have done. Look what God has done through us. Look what, look the amazing things that ended up coming from this. Do you think that's helped heal you and helped you forgive even more? No doubt about it. And um, I think that's why, because, you know, we've been doing this 20 years now and, and telling our story and it also includes abortion. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff, you know, that's in our past and Lisa's past, but, you know, when we're able to show and talk about what God has done over that process and then what he has allowed us to do in the book, we talk about a, a couple that um, had a situation as bad or worse than ours. Uh, and we walked through that with them and they were able to find forgiveness. And now they're leading our marriage ministry here at our church. I mean, we just did a, we were doing a live stream, you know, during the, during the coronavirus and we just guested on their live stream. And, you know, every time I'm with them, I just marvel because they basically took over for us when God kind of put us out on the national stage to do things around the country. We couldn't do as much locally here. And, you know, we love our community and our church, mm-hmm. but God raised them up to, to do just what you were talking about. And yes, I, the way I compare it to, I, I say it's like a, it's like a, a wound that, that healed like a surgical wound or whatever. And then you have that hard, you know, scar tissue that's there. And so we feel like they keeps you from re-entering that spot. And we feel like that's what way we are spiritually. Like every time we help someone, every time we speak, every time we do a podcast like yours, you know, what we're doing is, is we're putting another layer uh, of that, of that good, healthy scar tissue. Uh, Cause we, you know, we'll never forget the wound. We'll never forget what it was like to go through that, but, but we need to, because I was just talking to a guy from Alabama who, his wife left him, and and he's two weeks removed from it. Well, of course, mm-hmm. I remember what, what that was like. But if I don't remember that and I'm not able to tell him and give him some hope, then in that moment, in that crisis, in those early days and weeks and months, when you go to sleep thinking about it, you wake up thinking about it, someone needs to hear that you can get past this, and it can be put back together. It may not, but it, it can be. Uh, and, and I use your parents a lot as that, you know, even if, even if you're divorced. I mean, sometimes, you know, uh, God can still work it out for, for people. And uh, and your result, if it hadn't been for that, you wouldn't even be here, Kimberly. So, I mean, I praise God for that, right? No, absolutely. In those in those moments, though, you know, you said we we try to forget. You can't forget. You talk about that even at the end of your book. And 
do y'all ever get to points now, even though you have done the hard work, the forgiveness, you speak on national stages, you are all about this, but do you ever have those moments where that hurt comes up again and you're starting to live in fear of what if it happens again? What if, you know, Lisa were to have another affair? What if something else were to happen that, uh, you know, in my family that, that would just cause so much hurt. Do you ever live with the fear of the hurt? Uh, well, you... I, I, I actually do not live in fear of that happening again. Um, I think one thing is because um, when you put on the full armor of God, I didn't have the full armor of God on. I didn't really even have a relationship with God. Um, but I believe that whenever you put on that full armor, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, but you're not ever going to just fall into a pit. As long as you're putting in um, the words that come from God, as long as you're studying His Word, um, you know, reading things um, that have a positive um, twist to them, you know, to teach you how to live and how to live a Christian life better than what you did yesterday, you know? Um, and so I do I do not live in fear. I, You know, I don't live in fear of of Alan doing that. He's not that kind of person, although it could happen to anybody. But Mm -hmm. still, I I do not, I really, Kimberly, I do not live in fear of anything. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, um, sometimes, you know, I pray for the Lord to put hedge of protection. I do that every night. Please put a hedge of protection around my kids and my grandkids. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I certainly, that, if I had a fear, that would be it, you know, that something would happen to them. But as far as, as our relationship, I have no fear whatsoever. I feel as though I can tell Alan anything. I feel, I feel like he can tell me anything. Um, and you know, whatever it is, we're going to get past it. And, um, I mean, my life now is, it's just totally different. I live so long in fear because when you live with secrets, they're almost like time bombs. And you never really know when they're going to detonate. Yeah. And so there are no secrets anymore. There, There's, you know, the past is the past. Uh, we have gotten uh, past the past, and uh, we can't change it. All we can do is, is live glorified from now on. So um, I, I really have no fear. I think honesty and truth are, have definitely been the two factors, and we talk about that a lot in the book obviously because we live with so so much dishonesty and not being truthful, both of us, uh, early in our marriage, that those two things are just like a, a light that shines on darkness. And it really keeps fear at a minimum. And for me personally, I mean, certainly it was a lot harder early uh, to trust Lisa, and I knew it would be. Uh, and that's why I just had to really double down in my own heart with the Almighty and just say, look, God, I I'm going to doubt. I mean, there's, you know, because I don't trust her at all, but I trust you. And I know that you reveal this to me. And so that was how I was able to navigate those early weeks and months when we weren't together or the first time I had to go on a you know mission trip or something uh, to be able to deal with that because it was, you know, it, it was very hard. So I get it when people say and they talk about how hard it is to trust again. I understand completely. Uh, but I'm telling you, we're an example that over time, 
of living truth, then that becomes much easier as you go. And and I would say we're we're as healthy at 21 years as we've you know been since we started. 21 years since it all happened. Yeah, 36 years. 36 total. We'll this year. That's right, Lord willing. Here are my key pies takeaways for this week's episode, part one of Desperate Forgiveness with Alan Lisa Robertson. There's so much that I love about everything that we talked about because I so understand how hard forgiveness can be. It can be easy to forgive the smaller things in life. You know, when we let those build up, it can be even more difficult, but it's those bigger things, those mountains that we don't want to have to even focus on that can become incredibly hard to forgive after waiting so long to address the forgiveness. I'll talk more on next week's podcast on part two with them about how difficult that has been for me and something that has happened in my life. But we even heard Lisa start talking about that today, talking about how long it took her before she was really able to forgive the person who sexually abused her. That's a huge violation of of innocence, of trust, of privacy, And I can totally understand how it can take so long to even want to look at it because there's so much of your identity, your feelings, your thoughts about yourself, your beliefs about yourself that you have to start addressing when it comes to forgiving. It could be that you're forgiving someone else for something that they've done to you, or maybe it's that you don't even know how to forgive yourself for something that you have done. Whichever one it is, here's my first takeaway for you. I encourage you to look at it from a different perspective. Take the situation that you are in, the situation that is so hard for you to forgive, and try and see it from a different perspective. Maybe you're trying to see it from the person who has hurt you's perspective, if that is fitting. Maybe you're trying to see it from your perspective, but maybe removed from you. Maybe you need to look at it from an outsider looking in. Like in Lisa's case, we wouldn't want to look at it from the perspective of the person who did the sexual abuse because that is not helpful. But looking at it from a family member who loves her and seeing what they would say to Lisa about what happened to her in that type of situation can help bring perspective to how you're feeling and the freedom that lies on the other side of this from you. Imagine if Lisa had had someone in her life that she felt comfortable enough to go to when she was younger to talk about this, and that person had been able to tell her that she was loved, that it was not her fault, and that she was not dirty for what had happened to her. What change could that have made about how she felt about herself and the decisions that she chose to make from that point going forward? Or maybe it's a person that you are struggling to forgive because of things they've said to you, ways that they've stabbed you in the back, things that they've lied to you about. And when you look at it from just your perspective, it can be hard to forgive because we see that person as evil. We see them as not worthy of forgiveness. We see them as an offender, as opposed to seeing them as another broken person. I can't tell you how many times in my life my husband has said or done something to hurt me. There was the four years of our marriage that he was hiding an addiction from me. And I will never forget 
the first day I found out when he came to me, he came clean about everything. One of the first thoughts that went through my head, of course, was how could he? I've given him multiple chances. I've given him multiple opportunities to tell me the truth. I've asked him point blank. I have been an amazing wife to him, right? Like I was seeing all of these things through just my perspective. What I failed to do immediately was to see it from his perspective. Why was he struggling with the addiction in the first place? What was it from his past that he was trying to numb because it was too hard to deal with it? And he tried to lose himself in the feelings of his addiction. When we change our thought and begin to see the person who has hurt us and see their life from a different perspective, to have empathy on them, then that is when we can begin to forgive. Forgiveness, I believe, needs to happen no matter what because it frees us. It takes us from being that victim into being the victor. But even more than that, it is what redeems relationships. It is what can bring us back together. And even for relationships that don't need to have reconciliation because it's not safe or because of whatever reason it might happen, it still frees you to be able to forgive, to have empathy, and to be able to address every other relationship in your life, having the freedom of that forgiveness. And the third key pies takeaway is this, tell the truth. As simple as that may seem. One of the things I loved that Lisa said was when you live with secrets, they are like time bombs and you never really know when they are going to detonate. That may be a secret that you're keeping of something you've done, a way that you've hurt someone else, something you're hiding from someone that you're hoping one day they never find out. Or it may be a secret of how hurt you are that you haven't told the person in your life, maybe a sibling, maybe a parent, maybe a spouse, that you are struggling with something that they've done to you. If you don't address those issues as they come up, it is only going to turn you into a ticking time bomb. And you might never know when you will explode. Now, I'm not saying that every time someone in your life does something that hurts or makes you angry, that you turn it back on them and you say, and you begin to tell them everything you feel about them in the moment. That's not it at all. I believe we can approach these conversations with grace and with poise while telling the other person how we feel, getting it all out there on the table, getting through the conflict with each other because you believe and value that relationship so much that you want it to be stronger and healthier on the other side. Not done in a way that it is that is attacking, not done in a way that is vengeful, but in a way that is full of speaking truth and love to the people in your life that matter to you, that you want to keep in your life. Next week, we're going to talk about even more having to do with forgiveness. And the reason I wanted to spend so much time on this topic is because I know from firsthand experience what unforgiveness can do to you, the way it can cause your bones to ache, the way that it can seep into every part of your life, cause anger, cause stress, cause loss of sleep, so many things that unforgiveness can do. And friends, I have found freedom 
on the other side of forgiveness. I believe in this more than I ever have before. And next week, we will talk even more about how to forgive even when it's hard. We'll see you next week.